0: You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows, like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation.
1: Nights. Nights. <laughs> in bed. <laughs>
0: I've hijacked, hijacked Melanie in bed.
1: Yeah, I'm, tr- I'm laying down. Wanting to go to sleep because I have to get up early in the morning to go to work. But first, I have to record an intro. (laughs) Thanks, baby.
0: You're welcome. I know you love this. Uh, Okay, we'll keep this brief then. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is Growlix Nights number two. The second of three that we'll be releasing this month. Uh, Basically, to get them out there through the podcast feed
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and off of YouTube.
1: It'll still be on YouTube, but...
0: Yeah, it's still on YouTube, but now you can download it and listen to it over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> so, the only thing really to say about this, this is the uh, interview with Sarah Rourke. Mm-hmm. And in this, you'll hear us talk a lot about After Daylight, uh, and she was doing a Kickstarter at the time.
1: Which was successful.
0: Yes, the Kickstarter was successful. She made her goal and even made the uh, first stretch goal.
1: I'm very excited to get... A hard copy of that because i i read some of it on online but i didn't i didn't read all of it and uh you know me i do a lot more of my reading elsewheres oh, than oh, on oh, the oh, com- yeah. than on the computer so i don't really get to get to as much web comics as as other people mm-hmm. um so this would be good for me i'll get a chance to actually go through the all of book one
0: yeah. Super excited. Mm-hmm. And I know we didn't really do anything, but it was cool to watch the process.
1: Yeah. We were all, I mean, we're not, we're not really involved in it other than the interview, but we're all nervous. Like, oh, there's only, you know, 12 hours left.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> I was nervous. I was keeping a track of it pretty close. Yeah. And part of that was because Sarah It was very cool. Yeah. This is a great interview. She had a lot of interesting stuff to say about not mm-hmm. only the webcomic, but other stuff too.
1: Yeah, she's had an an interesting career. Mm -hmm. I would have liked to spend more time on on other aspects of... The work she's done? Yeah. And and not only that, but her opinions on other things. But, uh, you know, we don't want to have every show be three hours long, so... Yeah. (laughs) So I stopped myself from asking questions several times. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And this is the one so far, the one Grolics nights in which all three hosts are on it. Jesse was mm-hmm. actually able to join us on that one. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, so that's yeah. It was this was a fantastic episode, so I'm glad to put it through the podcast feed so people can listen to it. And that's pretty much it. Here, maybe maybe Bonsai can. Okay, I tried to get Bonsai <laughs> brew.
1: And it's because you shoved that in his face that he has to stop purring so he can investigate
0: it. I know. I know. All right. So. All right.
1: So it's a good episode.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Listen to it. And then go read After, after daylight. daylight. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> it is. So good night to you all. And uh, you can all get me some yogurt pretzels for breakfast. <laughs> I'll put them out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, just so you know, by voice, uh, I'm Randy. Melanie's here too.
1: Yeah, Melanie, hello. And
2: I'm
3: Jesse. Hi, <laughs> Jesse. Good to hear your voice.
0: Yeah, nice to meet you
2: on the Voicetron. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we-
3: <laughs> we've been to- tweets for a while, so. He- yeah.
0: I think Jesse just invented my new favorite word, Voice atron? I think Like, a certain
2: layer of the internet is the Voicetron, so... Yeah, Yeah, who does
3: telephones anymore?
2: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, those don't count. (laughs) The Mobile... (laughs) Those are the Mobiltrons.
0: (laughs) Today we are here with Sarah Rorick. am am, I'm pronouncing that correct, right? That's absolutely right. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, Sarah.
3: Well, uh... You got my name now. What else can I tell you? Um, I'm a professional violinist. Uh, for a, a lot of my life, I've, I've been a professional violinist um, turned author and comic creator. Uh, I've been writing uh, mainly for the games industry for the last 15 years um, and done some uh, done some fiction uh, within that milieu, some novels, novella, uh, tie-in fiction. Uh, And then I decided that I wanted to get into comics and started up uh, After Daylight about two years ago now.
0: Because you mentioned some very interesting things about your background. Um, Would you like to jump there first? Like some of the, you mentioned uh, writing for the games industry.
3: You know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have the writing skills that I have today without the games industry. Um, I got in with White Wolf. I I guess I should especially mention White Wolf because that's... um, the company that I did uh, almost all my game writing for. Uh, And they also are the ones who uh, got me my first contracts uh, for fiction Mm -hmm. for the two novels in their Dark Ages series and the novella, uh, which was a werewolf novella, actually, not a vampire one. Um, And before that, you know, I was uh, mostly just writing for my own pleasure, uh, and I responded to one of their all calls. I had been playing the games for many years, uh, and playing all kinds of role-playing games for many years. And Yay. yeah, so I responded to the all call, and and I got the wound up with the developer uh, on the line. Uh, you know, saying, "Hey, let's try you out," which was, it was kind of astonishing how how quickly he made that decision and how fast I got thrown into the deep end. But uh, I discovered that I loved it so. And I'm still I'm all about gaming, all, uh, not just uh, role playing games, but also computer games, mostly MMOs. I have a lot of a lot of very good friends in the gaming industry, who some of whom are, are still doing that, and some have moved into uh, just straight fantasy fiction uh, and film, and really all kinds of of genres. It, it's really kind of a little little incubation. Mm-hmm. House for for creative people. A lot comes out of the gaming industry.
0: Before you jump to web comics, what what's some of the other other fiction work you've done?
3: Well, I've I've been doing uh, vampire fiction on a pro basis for quite a while, uh, almost since I started to work with White Wolf. Uh, they put me on the vampire line right away. Um, so I've been doing vampires as sort of serious fiction for such a long time that. Uh, I kind of can't take it anymore. I had, had to do something with a little bit more of a comic twist on it. I, I, I still love vampires, but I just can't take them as completely seriously as, as I used to. Um, so I needed to find a, a venue where I could indulge both my love and my satire you know, for the genre. Uh, which is what the webcomic wound up being. But I in, I really enjoyed writing the, the straight fan- vampire fiction as well, especially since they had me writing for their Dark Ages line. A lot of that is set in the Middle Ages. Uh, so I wound up having to do a, a lot of historical research. And um, that's a chore to some writers, but I, I'm kind of a history goob, so I actually really got into it.
0: What made you go the webcomic route?
2: It's for all the fame, I'm sure. And the money. The fame and the money.
3: uh, Yeah, totally. The the riches and the glory. Uh, Actually, I'd worked in the game industry uh, long enough to have no illusions about the money uh, or the fame. I feel that webcomics was a really good in for somebody who didn't have connections in the uh, comics industry already? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, any anybody, any Yahoo can put stuff up on the internet, which is a little bit the downside of web comics as well, because then you have the convincing game of trying to get people to come by and and look at your web comic. Hey, mine is really good. You know, I know you've seen some other stinkers out there, but but, but mine is really good. Um, <laughs> It's, that's a fun game. But, uh, you know, you don't have the seal of approval from the gatekeepers. But on the other hand, nobody can stop you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I've liked best about it is that as long as I could pay the hosting, I could do the comic, you know, exactly the way I want for as long as I want. And I think if I had been trying to sit in a little room and just do the whole graphic novel by myself with, you know, basically no audience feedback or participation, until it was done, I, I think I probably would have gone a little bit insane. The, so one of the one of the other nice things about the webcomic is that you know the regular updates you get people who who come back and back uh, and become devoted to the series, and the energy that you get from that is really really motivational to keep you going. Also, the deadline. Deadlines are very motivational. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no kidding.
0: Now you also illustrate it. Uh, yes. Do you want to talk a little bit about your, your art
3: background? That, you know, in a perfect world, I would have found a, a wonderful, non-busy pro artist who would have said, I would be delighted to illustrate your vampires on spec. Maybe it's actually better that, it's, that it didn't turn out that way. But any anybody who's been a comics writer seeking a partner artist will tell you that there's a lot – more artists out there. There's a lot more writers needing artists than artists needing writers. Mm -hmm. So it's actually really difficult. I I found talented co-workers, uh, collaborators, but of course, since they were good, they were also working a lot. And, um, you know, a lot, there would reach a point where they had to kind of give their day art job precedence. And, you know, how can you, how can you blame them? You know, we all we all have to make our creative living. So I decided that, you know, I would go ahead and give this one uh, a try drawing it myself. Um, And I was very aware that that was not where my pro background was. I just try to comfort myself with looking at early Doonesbury, early Garfield, Mm -hmm. you know, and saying that their styles really grew and matured as they as they went on, you know. But the story was always there. And the appeal was always there. And so I I thought, well, I'll, I just hope this, that the art can carry the story and carry the characters. Um, so far, you know, it seems like, like people do feel that it does. I enjoy the drawing process. I enjoy cartooning, particularly. I enjoy drawing humor. And I really enjoy the shading uh, that I do on the comic, the black and white shading mm-hmm. is very meditative. So there's a lot of little joys to it, but I've definitely had to... Up my game art wise. I always drew for myself. I always drew and I always illustrated my own stories. But I never had any kind of formal art background. So I had to get over that a little bit.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't have I would not have guessed that, uh, looking at the looking at the webcomic. It looks really good. I wouldn't have guessed that you didn't have a like a formal art background.
3: Thanks. No, just a lot of self taught, you know. I, I it, it was one of my uh one of my major pursuits as a as a kid. It was always kind of behind violin, but um it was definitely something that i I studied a lot on my own time so uh, and of course, the other thing about doing the web comic and the regular deadline is it does force you to get you know better as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can't really luxuriate, so hopefully that's been good for my uh, art technique.
2: I think that the uh, art style definitely, uh, you know, it works really well with your writing style. I can't imagine seeing it in somebody else's hand.
3: That that's very cool for you to say. I I, I like to think that you know someday I could hand off a guest art. You know, have somebody do like a, a side plot arc or a or a miniseries or something. If I if I'm ever rolling in the big bucks and am able to uh, hire. Talented artist to do that, but I'm very glad to hear that, that they go together the story and the art. Uh, that's the for me, that's the chief thing. The art is there to serve the story, so as sure. long as it's strong enough to carry the story that I'm trying to do, I try not to uh, compare myself too much to other artists.
2: No, you can't do that, you'd go
3: crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, I am crazy, but it would, <laughs> I would go crazier for sure. <laughs> It's it's easy though because there are so many people out there that are that are so wonderful, uh, you know. It's it's very easier. You know, five seconds on the internet and you'll feel inferior. So
2: oh sure, and if somebody <laughs> does guest art of your character and they do it better than you, then you just start thinking horrible things like, well, <laughs> clearly I'm the wrong person to be drawing Tank Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> so did it better.
3: <laughs> Actually, I would love that though. Um, because And like I said, part of the nice thing is not being quite as invested in the art with my ego. Now, if somebody came around and wrote my characters better, then we would have a problem.
2: Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. That,
3: that would be a declaration of war, but, uh, but people are totally free to draw my characters way better than I could ever draw them. That actually uh, – I always say that I'll know I've made it when people start doing fan fiction and fan art of the characters. That's like one of my benchmarks for success because – you know, if somebody, somebody loves your world so much they want to play in it, that means that what you've built really does have a life beyond you, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. You were saying uh,
1: earlier that most of the, the vampire fiction, like the novels you had written, uh, were set in the Dark Ages. Um, when you decided you wanted to do a comedy, did you already know that it was going to be set in modern day? Or was that something uh,
3: you decided as you were like playing with the idea? Absolutely. I wanted to do it in the modern day. That was from the very beginning because kind of kind of, what I wanted to explore was that clash of old world vampires plus modernity and how, you know, really if there were vampires, they, they wouldn't, I don't think in, in this world of technology and surveillance and cameras everywhere, you know, that they could really stay hidden for that long. Um, I think it would inevitably come out. Uh, and so thinking about how that would play out is kind of the, the whole genesis for the idea of after daily. Now I will gleefully bring in characters that are from the middle ages or mm-hmm. from different eras because nothing is more fun than culture shock, you know, and, and having people of different cultures and, and centuries kind of clash with each other and not be able to relate to each other, both inside the vampire community. And when you're talking about vampires and humans trying to relate, mm mm-hmm. You know, so it, there was – I guess there was really not any way that it could not be set uh, fairly late in in the historical continuum because other, otherwise there wouldn't have been as much period versus period fun to have. Mm-hmm. Right. It, and the technology plays a, such a big role in it too. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Technology is uh, frightening in its own way, you know. Mm-hmm. In some ways, just as frightening as vampires. I don't cringe away from it. I embrace it. But I also do so, you know, with one foot in the past and, and saying, you know, I don't know what this is going to be. Do you guys know what this is going to be? Nobody knows what this is going to be. And, you know, that can't help but be a little frightening, which is another one. I think another one of the, the feelings behind After Daylight is that sort of, you know, we've stepped on the terra incognita here. What happens now?
0: Do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, kind of the, the, your, the main character of of the story? At least who we who we come into the story following.
3: Cat. Yeah. It's this was actually one of the rare occasions where I designed a story first and then came up with the character that could best uh, okay. tell this. You know, tell the story. Usually, I do it the other way around. I'm very character focused. But for this, since I kind of started out with the I want vampires to clash with modernity i wanted a vampire character who would be kind of in between he's old enough to feel that vampire feeling of being out of sync with the times which i think of course even humans like us get from time to time but he has a little bit more severe case because he, he's kind of stuck in the 60s a little bit <laughs> um but he's also young enough to that he hasn't just run away and hide you know he doesn't just run away and hide from the people of today so he's he's in that in between place I very deliberately decided I wanted that um, I knew he was going to be a musician I wanted to bring up some of the stuff that we can all relate to as you know working creatives about feeling disappointed with how your careers turned out you know questioning whether 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 you're the 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 hot stuff that you, you know, always hope that you would be or not. He he has to deal with that a lot because he was this up and coming musician, and now he's working a night job, you know, a retail job, and he, you know, doesn't feel that he can get back into his music career. That's kind of a universal human problem, but viewed through the vampire lens, it kind of takes on a, a sharper. Sharper profile, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, so I knew he was going to be sort of modern, but not completely modern. I knew he was going to be a musician. I also decided there weren't enough Jewish vampires in literature, so <laughs> there you go. Yeah, uh, I I made my contribution to that demographic. Uh, and he just he kind of started coming into shape. I I think I was a little bit going off off of historical figures from the you know from the folk rock era and the beatnik era. And that that whole time, and just kind of trying to picture what would one of those guys be like if he'd been turned into a vampire. It works well, <laughs> thank you. Well, and then once they're made, they start taking on uh, minds of their own, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of let them try to kind of let them breathe and and play and develop. And I know they're they're there when they start arguing with me in in my head. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You, you know what I'm talking about, don't okay, you? I do, I do. <laughs> they they get stroppy with you. Uh. <laughs> Especially if you miss your deadlines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is supposed to be my big plot point. Why are you focusing on that other character? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
3: And he's not really intended to be the protagonist. He's more sort of an entry character. I, uh, I'm trying to make it more of a, of a strong ensemble cast series as it goes on. But... Uh, you always need somebody to kind of ride along in the early stages with, uh-huh. while you get your feet wet in the story. Uh, you know, somebody that you can kind of see things through. And I decided that he should be that character. But um, he's he's not going to be. You know, all, all the little ones, all the other ones are developing their little side, their mm-hmm. their stories, and you'll probably see uh, a lot more of them getting the spotlight here and there too as this story goes on
0: uh you had mentioned opting for like the web comic releasing it as a web comic as opposed to just uh toiling away on it uh by yourself on this graphic novel so do you have the end the end plan like the end game plotted out for this um and this would kind of tie into the idea of uh then packaging them for the kickstarter volumes but uh
3: Yeah, well, it's a little, you know, it's a little bit soap opera-ish in that I could probably just play with these characters indefinitely, like Doonesbury. Definitely, there are major events forecasted. It it, it does have the potential to span a period of years or even decades, uh, like Doonesbury, or Dikes to Watch Out For, which I would say is another kind of big model of the comic. Um, Sometimes I call it vampire Dikes to Watch Out For. Um, where she just, you know, she follows these characters through all their, their life changes and stuff. And through that, you also see how the society changes around them. That's, that's kind of what I'm doing. I don't actually have a grand conclusion in mind right now, but I do have major, major milestones, major, uh, major climax points Mm -hmm. for each story arc that I'm plotting out.
1: And would you use those to, um,
3: decide this was booked? Volume one, and this is Volume two, and oh, they, yeah, kind by of those arcs, into your volumes. Absolutely, that's right. Yeah, like for instance, Volume one, that which is is the one that I'm kickstarting right now, takes uh, the vampires and the humans from the very first glimmerings of uh, internet rumor uh, that that vampires might be real, uh, where you know first a, ver- a very few mortals begin to take it seriously, and then over the course of the book, you you see it becoming a little bit more. Uh, a little bit more in- inevitable, ever more serious, ever more imminent. And then by the end of Volume 1, you're into full daylight where uh, the revelation is complete. I don't want to spoil with further details, but, mm-hmm. but basically Volume 1 takes you from, you know, the first kind of conspiracy theory type websites all the way up to, uh, you know, n- nobody's denying it anymore. It's, it's now a, a reality. Of the world, but that's not even sort of the end of the fun, of course, so mm-hmm. you know that's just the beginning uh,
0: so yeah, tell us about this kickstarter then um uh it's for volume one,
3: mm-hmm. Um, yes.
0: Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Tell us about the tell, Kickstarter.
3: Tell us about the. <laughs> why? I don't mind if I do. Uh, yes. The Kickstarter started on the twentieth of October and it's running through the nineteenth of November. So we're pretty much at the halfway mark here. Um, and I actually didn't check it today, but l- last I looked, we were uh, we were over sixty percent funded. Oh, nice. So you know it it, it had a it, it had a a, a very good. Um, very good first couple of weeks, but uh, now we got to make the push. Mm-hmm. You know, the push through the famous middle, uh, and and uh, get get people coming in in droves. Hopefully for the for the last two weeks, um, the goal is is pretty modest. It's fifty eight hundred. I am um, trying to fund a really nice print run of the book, mm-hmm. uh, and if I am able to make goal, then when I am finished, I'll not only have enough books and merch to reward all my backers, but I'll also have a backlog of books that I can then take on the road, hit the road, sell at conventions, uh, maybe get into some uh, small retail stores, and and of course there will also be a digital uh, edition that's at full size, full resolution. What's on the web has to fit in that kind of bloggy format, Mm -hmm. so it's of necessity you're losing a lot of the artistic Detail. Um, this is going to be a full size, full letter size uh, edition of the book, where you can really see everything and all all the shading and all the little Easter eggs I like to put in. That's that's basically what it's about, and it's consuming my life right now. Uh, but it's what if there is to be a viable business model for this, it has to incorporate crowdfunding. So basically, if I if I if I am not prepared to do this, I feel like I might as well go home, mm-hmm. uh, or just do the comic in my side hours, you know, as a little as a hobby. But that's that's not what I came into this to do. I came into this to do it do it for serious, do it right, um, do it as close to full time as I can.
2: That's it's kind of a, a scary leap to make. It, it seems like like uh, going from webcomic to to Kickstarter. Um, Kickstarter would be that moment where it's like um, y- yes, you feel vindicated because you've got you've gotten some really good support, especially off the front end. and then like this this part, this middle part has got to be the tough part. like
3: Oh, everybody says so. I, I keep asking all my colleagues who have had? Kickstarters that went on to fund successfully, so you know that's that's the encouraging part. And I asked them, you know, how did you stay sane through the middle weeks? And, and most of them are like, "Oh, I looked sane. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> <glad>. Oh, good. <laughs> I was faking it well enough then. Yay. <laughs> you know, uh, the, to." To a man, to a woman, the answer has been: you don't stay sane. Don't expect to be sane. Uh, <laughs> it's it's going to be one of the craziest months of your life, and that just is all there is to it. So, at least I can't say I wasn't warned because it's that's that's how it's definitely uh, turning out. It's not for me. This is not the fun part of the job. I'm not a mar- a marketing type, uh, right. but. You know, unless you can find somebody who's going to just do it for you. I mean, you could if you luck out like Penny Arcade and find a Robert Koo who's going to work free for a year to to market your web comic and make it happen. Right, and
2: be a and be a genius on top of
0: that.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, you know, they're 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 extremely funny guys. I and I, I don't begrudge them that, but that pretty much doesn't happen. Aside from them, it's not a thing that happens. So I, I feel that us creators have to learn to put on that that marketing hat, that fundraising hat, um, all those zillionty different hats, uh, a lot of which I'm wearing in the Kickstarter. I had to make a video for the first time. <laughs> Never made a video. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought I had uh, someone lined up to help with the video and then wound up not but luckily with enough time to do it for myself. So there's 10 zillion points in this at which I could have said, I- I'm just not ready for this. I can't do this. Forget it. And crawl back off the diving board. But I didn't. So, yay me. And, uh, I, I'm, yeah, and I'm far from the only or the first, of course. That's, that's what's comforting about this is that so many – so many other people who have little web comics like me are are doing exactly this, and it's it's kind of a gradual bootstrapping thing. But you know, uh, looking to their examples uh, and learning from them has been very very helpful.
2: Cool. Um, you also mentioned uh, hitting the road. Um, have you done conventions with uh, your White Wolf, uh, with your White White Wolf projects and and
3: almost not at all for i i've been to dragon con which is was the big con that white wolf which is now onyx path by the way they're still doing their thing and they're doing it through the kickstarter model i did one really big dragon con event and there was a signing it was for the the big rule book for the new edition as as i remember right uh and that was basically it my my obligations were very few but i've Been with people who do the convention scene as vendors long enough to know not to underestimate it. That's going to be another diving board moment of, oh my God, I can't handle this.
2: It's kind of its own beast, I've noticed. You know, like I went in thinking that I would just be peddling my books, and then I would get out there and find out, well, what people actually wanted to buy were prints. (laughs) And then it's like, well, that's not why I'm here.
3: Right. Yeah, is I I expect to have a big learning curve when when I start on that. Uh, I'm going to try to have at least a small variety of, of merch because, like you said, that sometimes that is how it goes. Sometimes you know you bring books and they want prints, or you bring prints and they wanted keychains, or yeah. And I guess you have to learn each con's strengths, you know. But again, we're, we're very fortunate that so many people have gone these routes before that if we you know, take the time to seek them out and ask them about it. Uh, I, so far I've found that people are very free with sharing their experience.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, just a total it's all pizza moment. Uh, what are your favorite uh, vampire characters?
3: Just oh, into- my. Well, the ones that are actually vampires. Um, I, I do like the vampires of True Blood for their humor, for the absurd humor. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I can't take their serious plot lines very seriously but I I love
2: the yeah. <laughs> I don't I think love- they take their serious plot lines very seriously
3: <laughs> I think I was sold on the series the moment that that uh that Eric Northman the the big blonde vikingy looking dude uh comes down into the basement to to see his prisoners that are chained up and uh he's got foils in his hair for highlights Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, stuff like that where it's just very, very irreverent twist on the character, and you're like, oh, oh of course. Of course he's not a real blonde. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and things like that. I, I like vampires that kind of poke at, at the conventions. I think that right now they're, that they're my, my favorite vampires. I also like some of the, the classic ones. Uh, I was very into Anne Rice. Back in the day, she's also, yeah, yeah, she's a very big influence, uh, in my vampire writing. But, uh, again, that's, that's more, you know, serious, more straight vampire fiction. So I can't, I can't handle it without parodying it, But but that doesn't, that doesn't mean I don't love the original. That doesn't mean I'm not in love with, you know, all her little characters and how, how gloriously emotionally messed up they are, uh.
2: Well, and Lestat is so—he's so irreverent in and of himself that I think he lends himself beautifully to that.
3: Yes, yes, the brat, the brat prince—he's—he definitely has a little bit of a, you know, centuries of tradition, screw that, you know, attitude yeah, happening. That—that yeah. mm-hmm. that probably did make its way into to my mindset with After Daylight at least a little bit. Trying to think if there's—you know, there there's so many that I, my relationship with them is more about. What I would have rather done with them if I were writing them. But, uh. Ooh, let's play that game. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but that's where, it, you know, that's where stuff comes from. I mean, part of what After Daylight did come out of was, uh, you know, instead of throwing rocks at the screen for True Blood, where they would make these wonderful settings, um, you know, this wonderful setting where uh, vampires and humans are aware of each other, uh, and they would start to hint at, how that played out in terms of the politics in terms of uh social the social change. But oh no, Suki just got kidnapped again, and we have to deal with that. Hmm. You know, uh or yeah. you're breaking up this couple for the fourth time, we're too busy uh to possibly deal with politics. And I was like, But that was the stuff I wanted to see. Get back to that man. I yeah. Suki, whatever. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Um, so, you know, that can be a, a prod to your own creativity to critique uh, things that you hate or or things that you love and hate, uh, as is more often the case with me. Sure. Mm -hmm. I think a writer's mind is constantly going, if I were doing that, would I I do it just like that or would I change this and this around a little bit to make it even better?
2: Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. You kind of try to write the things that you would want to see yourself.
3: Yep, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's... Basically, what it is, uh, and and hoping that that's going to be something that is unique enough that somebody will care enough to read it, of course.
2: Right, right. Do you? Um, I'm going to kind of ping pong back to the art. Uh, do you work mostly digitally, or do you work mostly traditionally, or is it really a blend of both?
3: It's a blend. I, right now, I'd say it's probably tending more toward the digital. Basically, I I usually digitally pencil although there there are times that I go ahead and do pencil pencils. Uh, And the inking has been digital since fairly early on. Uh, I find that it really helps me line things cleanly to be able to blow it up really big Mm -hmm. in the software, uh, which you can't do inking the traditional way. So uh, totally cheat with the ink. I I use Manga Studio. Uh, However, the shading is done... uh, is done by hand um, with with copic, copic, however it's pronounced. The those markers, those uh-huh. lovely markers, those lovely expensive markers.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, that dry out entirely too quickly.
3: Yeah, but at least I only have to buy them <laughs> in grayscale because I I made that decision to do it in grayscale. And I, I actually hope I never have to go digital with that part, even though it might be faster. Just because I really do love uh, working with the shading and the blending. And, and the modeling, uh, and and I get compliments on it. People all the time will be like, "I just love your ink washes," and I'll smile and nod and not tell them that it's just <laughs> markers that are it does, it does. that are made to look like. But it, it's the way that I work with them is very watercolory or very ink washy in the approach. So it. It, it winds right. up kind of looking that way. Which That's is fine with me. If it if it comes out looking very, you know, very old school, very organic with the shading, I, I can live with that.
2: Right. Well I was just puzzling that before we started. I was like, I think it's digital, but it doesn't quite yeah. So no, excellent. So then do you print it out and then you do your copic on top of a
3: of a printout or Yeah, I do the I print out the line art and then marker over that. And, of course, the nice thing about that is if you completely bork the shading, you can just print out a new copy and, and do it again, which is what what those markers were invented for, by the way, was uh, poor manga artists that are always on deadline and always have to draw a zillion miles a minute. If they, you know, mess up their shading or toning or something, they can't afford to, you know, go do the inks all over again, too. So they had to yeah. develop – they developed a, a brand of marker that would not bleed uh, – xerox toner that was basically the idea so that's why those those markers exist so i can that that you know i can marker over it with total confidence that it's not going to make any of the ink lines run and the and the effect is is beautiful they blend really really nicely
1: oh
2: yeah yes
1: do you ever uh get done drawing uh like a, a panel and you work really hard on it and it looks really beautiful but then when you get it up on the computer on the you know as the web comic and there's missing Something details is thing. it do you ever like feel disappointed that it that it is a web comic and not the the full
3: in its full glory that it will be once oh, uh once the book comes out I, you know occasionally but i comfort myself with the with the knowledge that i always did intend to publish the print book right. um and in some ways, it's good if the if the webcomic is a little bit more of a tease in that, you know, somebody can be like, I can tell she wrote an Easter egg over there, about it, but the, the picture is so small, I can't read it. Right. You know, it's just, you know, hey, there's a reason to, to, to buy the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. And no, yeah, the scanning, I did learn some hard lessons about scanning the markers in. You can't do quite the same range and fineness on the you know it, when, once you scan it and you lose some of the range and some of the fineness uh, and you have to do some digital adjustments to try and get some of it back, but even so you 'll never get all of it back, for instance, basically anything lighter than a ten percent gray just doesn 't scan yeah. Uh, yeah. and even ten percent yeah. gray scans kind of unevenly with the with the markers, so I learned that I just didn 't get to have that end of the of the spectrum, <laughs> but in art that's, you know, in, in original art, that's going to be hung up as original art. You, you can, uh, indulge a little bit more. So occasionally, occasionally, but you know, by and large, it, it comes through pretty well and it's going to look even cooler when it's, uh, printed offset, you know, legit yeah. offset printing style. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: since we're hitting about 40 minutes, probably kind of wrap it up. I know Jesse's needs to go vote still. Um, I got to
3: rock. Mm, rock got to do your civic duty. <laughs> <tea>, yeah.
0: <laughs> Anything else, like web links and stuff that uh, that you'd like to hit before we before we end the interview? Uh,
3: yeah, let me let me um, go ahead and tell the people where to find the stuff. Okay. Uh, volume one is complete uh, and free to read on the web at Web res- Resolution website. and that's at AfterDaylight.com. Really easy. Just After Daylight, one word com, So you can actually totally try before you buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, read the, read whole, all of Volume 1 for free if you want. Uh, and then come by and visit my Kickstarter, which there's a link to that from the comics page. Or if you uh, – I could give the URL, but it's big and long. Yeah, yeah. And it's easier just to search After Daylight uh, in the Kickstarter search box. Or you can get there from my webpage. And, again, we're about halfway through, so there's not all that, that much longer. Uh, and there are lots of different tiers available. There are some book only tiers, uh, but then there's some with, with some with considerable extra bonus goodies as well, like custom art and, and some other things. So please do come by and check it out.
0: And that's by the 19th. I think for some reason during the, uh, the episode, I kept saying the 11th. I'm not sure where I pulled that number, but the 19th is when the Kickstarter ends, right?
3: I don't know. I'm I'm in the I'm doing the Kickstarter. I'm doing good to remember uh what my name is, but I'm pretty sure that it ends on the on the nineteenth. Um it's a thirty day Kickstarter, so Okay, okay. Yeah. You do have you do have a while left to go, but not too too much longer, don't, so don't sit on it.
0: Yeah, don't wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't, don't wait till the
3: last by the
2: eleventh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, don't don't
3: don't give the creator a heart attack. Uh come in come in and show your love while, while it's still, you know, kind of in the middle there, that would be greatly appreciated, uh, and contribute greatly to my mental health.
0: And for the listener, wherever you're listening to this at, I will include links to the AfterDaylight.com website as well as I'll include the the Kickstarter link too. Wherever you find this, there will be a link somewhere. Awesome. Yeah.
2: And I, I was uh, I was joking with Sarah that uh, I've never been on the the Grawlix night Night. Uh, Oh, episode yet? Relics Nights, yeah. That's, that's It yeah. is.
3: Yeah. We that's made true. it. That's true. That's true, And And it's always night somewhere. I don't know if it's night where you guys are, but it's... It, it. It. It's getting there.
2: And you guys know what night is. <laughs> it's, it's,
0: you know what night is? Yes. It's yeah. after daylight.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> I think mean, you beat me to my episode <laughs> title.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what night is. <laughs> what night is. It's after yes. daylight. Nice.
0: All right. Well, awesome. Thanks. Thanks for uh, joining up with us on on this.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, p- pleasure is mine. I'm really, really excited. My very first uh, podcast, and for it to be with with you guys is it just seems all all the right. Oh, well. all the yeah. It's so. very
0: exciting for us too. You're the first person that um, the first the first creator that we've had uh, like contact. Contacted over over the internet and set up a an actual record session like this. Yep. on the citron.
3: Yeah, well, I hope I h- hope Tron. hope it happens many more times with uh with really fabulous, famous or almost famous guests.
0: <laughs> we'll take all of those. We'll,
2: we'll take, take yeah. all. We'll take it. Yep.
3: <laughs> Thank you for being the first. Absolutely. Yep, in five years you won't be taking my calls. <laughs> I know how it is. You'll, you'll, you'll forget where you came from. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're,
0: we're the ones
2: <laughs> moving up. But then we'll up. have an anniversary episode and we'll be begging you. That's oh, yeah.
3: it. That's it. It's kind of like I'm being hired to work on the nostalgia vampire titles now from Onyx Path. Like, Can you come back and do some old school for us? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the game's twentieth anniversary. It is now a nostalgia title. I, I try not. I try try not to feel weird about that. But it's also uh, it's also wonderful that, of course, twenty years later, people are still going. Hey, we liked. We like Vampire the Masquerade. We will lay out money for more of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a good feeling, so I, I guess I won't complain about feeling old too much. Wow, 20 Axton, years.
2: Axton was telling me today that uh, the Animaniacs are now 21 years old.
3: Oh, my. <laughs>
2: oh, wow. Right? So the, the Warner Brothers and their sister Dot can now drink legally.
3: Oh, no. <laughs> but it is. It, it has been so long. It really has.
0: Yeah. The 90s are so, so long ago. Hmm. Yep.
2: I've got a, a future prediction to end the show on. Oh, that's Uh-oh. that's great. <laughs> Let's have it. All right. This has been Grawlix Nights. And in the future, all podcasts will be required to have a Nights brand YouTube <laughs> spinoff show. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Complete with David Hasselhoff.
2: (laughs) Oh, man. With keyboard ties and cheeseburgers and everything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. All
2: right. Um, (laughs) Do it right.